Great. Can you guys hear me? Wonderful. Awesome. Good morning. As uh, Matt said, my name is Todd. Um, Todd Bourne and my wife, Brittany. Uh, we are so excited to be here with you guys um, to just enjoy this time of worship, uh, worshiping our Lord, and to, to report um, with, to you guys. It would be, it would be um, unfortunate if we didn't report of what the Lord has done um, in the Middle East and what he is doing, um, and even what he has done through Brittany and I and many others. Uh, it's been an amazing privilege to, to be um, a part of the Lord's work, and that is a part of your work as well. Uh, your work, um, you guys taking part in what the Lord has done through us by your generous support and through finances and through prayers. Um, so we could have not, we have really could have not done this without you. Um, so thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for partaking in the work with us that we did in the Middle East. Um, this morning we're going to be talking through from Psalm chapter 2. And I actually, uh, if you, uh, I actually am going to ask that they would pull up, they would like the whole Psalm chapter 2 on the, the PowerPoint. If they could do that on the fly for me. Um, it seems like they can. Uh, and so, before we read Psalm chapter 2 and open up to there, I want to share with you guys that about an account that had a profound um, effect, a historical event that actually happened that has had a profound effect throughout the nations, throughout the world. It was 1806 in Massachusetts, out in the middle of nowhere, in some hay fields. Kind of like here, with cornfields corn and soybean fields, really kind of feels like out in the nowhere, out in the middle of nowhere. Brittany and I driving through here yesterday. Brittany's like, "Man, I really love this. I could live here. It's so peaceful. It's quiet. I love the open fields." So, not too far removed from this type of setting in Massachusetts, at a small college in 1806, five students. We're discussing a book by William Carey on foreign missions. And they were discussing particularly people who have never heard of the name of Jesus, who have no access to the name of Jesus through Christians. And as they were talking and discussing amongst themselves in this field, um, they have got lost in discussion. And while they were in discussion, a thunderstorm started rolling in. And before, it was, it was too late before they could escape, they found the nearest place of refuge that they could find. It was a haystack, just literally hay stacked on one another, on, on top of each other. Not like hay bales, but just a stack of hay. They jumped inside this stack of hay and found refuge from the coming storm. And while they, they were there inside this stack of hay, they started to discuss amongst themselves. And they started to talk about what they might do for the sake of God's kingdom and foreign missions. One of those men, Samuel Mills, insisted on taking the gospel to Asia and said to his fellow friends, if we can do this, or sorry, we can do this if we will. We can do this if we will. They continued to meet um, after this meeting, and they, they met um, in private prayer meetings, they started to gather other students around, and this, this, this prayer meeting actually became a famous prayer meeting called the Haystack Prayer Meeting. 
And to this day, you can go there outside of Williams College, and there's a monument erected now that, um, that classifies in, um, the site of where the prayer meeting happened. But out of this small little prayer meeting in the haystack of these five students came four missionary sending organizations, the first four missionary sending organizations in, in North America, out of these five students, sent over 200,000 people to the foreign mission field. But then in neighboring cities, other students heard about this haystack prayer meeting. And two other students, Robert and Grace Wilder, prayed for the Lord to send 1,000 students into foreign missions. And they continued to gather together and pray. And this eventually led into the, the beginning of the student volunteer movement, which sent 2,100 students and led many of them, other student organizations, to be started across the world. And now 200 years later, as a result of one of these organizations being started from this prayer meeting, in 2002, shortly after 9-11, three men and their young families, young kids just like many of you have here, packed up and moved to the Middle East to answer the call to start a student organization in a country that neighbored one of the countries that sent an attack on the United States. But they moved there. In the midst of this, they moved to the Middle East to answer this call. From the middle of Tennessee, they picked up their families and moved and started the Fellowship of Christian UAE Students, a student movement that Brittany and I got to be a part of in Dubai, that we have seen much fruit been born out of these three men moving to the Middle East. And not only has affected the Middle East, but has started uh, churches, healthy churches, gospel-proclaiming churches to the ends of the earth, from Africa to India to other parts of Asia to Europe to South America. It's amazing what God has done in the Middle, of, in the middle East. It's a weird and fascinating time that we live in with the advancement of technologies, the advancement of going across to the other side of the world, hopping on a plane and being able to fly 14 hours like Brittany and I did, and getting to the other side of the world. Where 100 years, 200 years ago, you had to hop on a ship, and it took a couple weeks to get, maybe months to get to where we went to. We live in an unprecedented time, fascinating time. Just in the past 30 years, as I can think about, of all that has happened in the global world, a world that is so interconnected. So yet at the same time, though, we also, in this global world, we feel anxiety more and more. We feel like the world is out of control more and more, that it may be growing in its out-of-controlness, chaos happening around us, whether that's with covid a pandemic hitting and rocking the entire world, shutting it down. Or maybe here in a small town, a dog's life is more important than a human's. Or maybe the Middle East seems doomed with countries like Lebanon and Afghanistan just being left to themselves and seeming like they're going to fall apart at any moment. It's not immediately, immediately clear to us that the cause of Christ is winning, that the cause of Christ is advancing to the ends of the world. And I can reassure you this and 
that it is, it is advancing. God's kingdom, his church is advancing. We live in a world, though, that it seems that it is openly, openly opposed to God. And it is, my friends, it is. But do not be dismayed. God's kingdom is advancing. So now let's read from Psalm chapter 2. I want to read the entire psalm. Uh, it's, it's an amazing psalm. As I was preparing for this message, it's, I was telling Matt, man, I feel like I'm, I'm rewriting my message all over again. It's a rich psalm. So uh, join with me as I read from Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth (laughs) set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This psalm is, is, is a fascinating and interesting psalm. It is a royal psalm, as we can see very clearly, talking about the, the king, the king of God, king, the king that God has set on his holy hill. But it's also a prophetic psalm. A prophetic, <laughs> prophetic psalm in that it... it Sorry, I've got to get used to that. Oh, man. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> That'll keep me on my toes. So a prophetic psalm that, that points us forward to the coming of Christ. I think it, it, it's a royal psalm in that it, it points in it, 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 at the current time of Israel understood it to be about their king, their current representative of the nation of Israel and King David. But also, I... I Reading this and seeing this, I, I, there's no other way I could read this but see that Israel also had to see this as a coming promise of an eternal king, an eternal throne in the Messiah. With the language as it talks about, you are my son, I have, today I have begotten you. It is a very amazing and fascinating psalm. But as we open up with the psalm, I would just want to point out, it asks this question, why do the nations rage and the, and the people's plot in vain? Why? You have to ask that, answer that opening question. And to answer that, that why, we actually need to step back and we need to look at the beginning of Psalm 1. Psalm 1.1. 1, 1. 
because this is this Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are kind of like one opening chapter to the book of Psalms. You'll notice that by the, the bookends. Psalm 1-1 says, blessed is the man. And then Psalm 2 at the very end in verse 12 says, blessed are all. So there are two bookends here that help us to understand this psalm. One, the Psalm 1 is, is the contrast that is, blessed is the man, the individualistic righteousness of a man. And then Psalm 2 talks about the all, the gathering together, and it gets more specific in the wickedness, the contrast that we saw in verse 1 between the righteous and the wicked. Now we see a more specific understanding of what the wickedness is of not just one, but of all in Psalm 2. So why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? It's the kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers have taken counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They rage and they plot in vain. They plot against the Lord because the human heart is wickedly deceptive. It is desperately wicked. The psalmist is making this clear that it is all. And this is nothing new, though, for the Israelites, King David, and certainly not for the Lord, that, that all people are raging against the kingdom of God. They're raging against God's anointed one, the king of Israel. This is nothing new. But it may have been addressing you know, a certain issue that was going on in Israel as the nations were raging out around David outside his window, window, seeing it. But it is not ultimately pointing to that. It is not ultimately pointing to an insurrection that is going to happen. Not like we've witnessed here in the United States in the past year. But it is drawing our attention to something that has been going on since the beginning of time, since the of Adam. The rebellion of Adam and Eve, of all of man. The first representative is as Adam, as his priest king himself, rebelled against the Lord. The Tower of Babel, Noah, Pharaoh Ramses II, who wouldn't let the people of Israel go. The judges and kings of Israel who did what was right in their own eyes. The Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders and its raging and plotting against Jesus and the church in Jerusalem and the ends of the earth. And actually in Acts chapter 4, helps us understand this a little bit more. Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are released from their imprisonment, being held and questioned by the Jewish leaders uh, in Jerusalem, they return to their friends in the church in Jerusalem, and they actually, they gather together and they pray. They actually quote this psalm, and they pray, though, opening, Sovereign Lord. And they say, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, spoke by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and with the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
So it's not out of control. This was not out of the control of our Lord. This was a prophecy that was fulfilled in Christ. And it doesn't stop here. The raging and the plotting against the anointed king, it doesn't stop at Jesus. It continues on. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it throughout church history. We see that the persecution in the church, the rejection of the gospel, injustice and oppression all around the world, whether that's here in Washington, D.C., in Dubai, or India. None of this, none of what is going on in this world and the chaos is out of the control of our Lord, and it's not out of His plans. None of this has our God worried or wringing His hands like, what do I do next? This just happened, what do I do next? No, he sits in the heavens and laughs. He sits in the heavens and laughs, and he does, and he holds them in derision. And he says the most reassuring thing that you could hear him say. He goes, I have set my king. As for me, I have set my king on my holy hill. We have nothing to worry about. For the king has, he is sitting on the throne. He has always been sitting on the throne. Checkmate, as we might say in chess. Checkmate. God knew every moment from the beginning. He knew every move because he planned them. His throne and his will will not be thwarted, guys. It will not be thwarted. We can trust in him. Checkmate. So, this rebellion, though, isn't just on a national scale, and it's not just those peoples and those rulers out there. It's not just Kim Jong-un of North Korea. It's not just uh, the Taliban. It's not just these leaders and these rulers that are separate and apart from us. We have all sinned. Every one of us have all sinned and taken part in this rebellion in our wickedness and in our hearts, saying, let us, let us break away, burst our bonds away from the Lord, and cast away God's rule over us. The frustration that wells up inside when someone doesn't act or do something that we like, or the greed deep in our hearts that lurks up in the depths to keep our financial provisions to ourselves for our own retirement, for our own life of how we want to live it. Or the quick dismissal of God leading, of God's leading to us to go to serve the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Our nature is that one that it rages to dethrone God from our lives. But guys, there's good news. <laughs> there's good news. There's good news in that the king who is on the throne, the very one who is sitting on the throne, the very one that we are raging against, that this world is raging against, also intercedes. He also intercedes for the ones who are under his throne. Let me say that again. The king who is on the throne also intercedes for those who are under his throne. 
You can take that promise to the bank. The Lord says to his son in in verse 8, this ask of me is an invitation from God the Father to his son. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. He is inviting his beloved son to open his mouth wide and fill it. And to fill it with what? Again, what does Jesus fill his mouth with when he asks the Father? He fills it with the nations. He asks for the nations of his heritage, the peoples of this world to be his inheritance. All of creation, the very ones rebelling against him, the 10 million Pashtun peoples of Afghanistan, who are 99.8% Muslim, and they mostly make up the Taliban. Jesus asks for them. Jesus asks for them. His grace is extended to them. Or think about the regimens and the peoples that are underneath in India or North Korea right now who are being killed. Christians are being killed by these regimens, by these people, by Hindus in China, by atheist government. Jesus' grace and his intercession is extended to them. It's an offer and it's an extended invitation to them. So not only is our king a king, but he's a great high priest as we read in Hebrews together. He is interceding on the behalf of his people. What a great high priest we have. So by no means... Guys, by no means has Christ failed to open his mouth and ask. He has by no means failed to open his mouth wide and fill it for his inheritance. We are a part of that inheritance, Christians. We are a part of that inheritance. He has asked for us. The divine king humbled himself. He not only asked, he humbled himself. The divine king humbled himself in the form of a lowly servant in human flesh, sympathizing with all our weaknesses, living the perfect life, obeying the will of the Father to the point of death. He rose over sin and death and is now seated on the throne where he is still interceding to this day, to this moment. He is interceding for the Christian. He is interceding for his inheritance that he has asked for. Oh, Christian, this is rich mercy that our God has extended to us. It's a great love that he has lavished upon us through his son, Jesus. What a merciful God we have. He has provided a refuge from the coming wrath of this king against those who rage against him. He has provided a refuge for all, as it says at the end of this psalm, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Against those who are raging, the very ones who are raging and plotting against his throne, he has provided a refuge. So I have to ask, will you come? Will you come with us? Will you come and take refuge in the life of our great king? It's an invitation 
you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed with the presence of God. You'll be blessed with the presence of the King. So where does this leave us, though, as Christians? We might be asking, how do we live in light of what we just talked through? The enthronement of great high priest. First, I just want to—I want to remind you, remind you of who we are now in Christ Jesus and whose we are. We are His. We are His inheritance. We are the anointed Son of God's heritage. We are children of God, Christian. We are the body of Christ. We have been made co-heirs with Christ sharing in his kingly, priestly roles now on earth through the church. This is the beautiful part that we get to play. And I I pray that this seeps down into your heart and takes hold. Now you can, I'm going to give you three points. We can live as intercessors. We also can open our mouths wide and fill it asking for Christ's inheritance. We have just seen that he does not fail to ask for his inheritance. So then we too, being as the body of Christ, Christ as our head, should join with Christ in one voice and one heart to ask for Christ's inheritance. Maybe for those that have full schedules, be intentional, brainstorm with one another, with other believers here in the church, other Christians, brainstorm about how maybe you can fit, you can put into your schedule time for prayer, whether that's with your family or with the church. It may even look like a mother that's too busy with all of the kids that she has to take, take care of in the house. It's a hard job, I know. My wife even has one kid, and I watch, and it's crazy. But maybe it's a mother just throwing the apron over her head for a moment of quiet and solitude with the Lord. Or maybe it's a, you're a student. Maybe it's you in your high school, in your college, just taking a moment and gathering together students to pray. Maybe it's just one or two of you that show up to pray. Or perhaps this may give you more of a desire to join the church in prayer gatherings regularly together, to pray for the nations, to pray for the advancement of the church. Guys, it is, it is a privilege that we have to partake in this priestly role that our, our, our God has given us. To boldly go before the throne shoulder to shoulder with Christ in times of mercy and times that we need grace, but also to ask, to ask and pray for the inheritance of Christ. So God, just, God is just asking us to open our mouth wide and echo the prayer that Christ himself gave us in the Lord's Prayer. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And we can ask this prayer in full faith, and full assurance that Christ will have his inheritance, guys. That we can take to the bank. That is a prayer we can have in confidence. Secondly, live as ambassadors. 
This, guys, Christians, this should build our faith and encourage us to boldly proclaim the good news to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, that we have a divine king that has provided refuge to the Son. And to say, as one theologian said it, don't, don't, I'm not giving you a license to be piggish and throw all tact out the window and just go out with your mouth wide open, chewing and proclaiming evangelism. No, I'm, all, I'm encouraging you to consider just a place of humility with a gentle word to your family, to your friends, to your coworker, and, and having an open ear and have patient sowing. We may not see someone come to faith immediately, but be patient in your sowing. But let us not be timid, guys. Do not let us be timid with this beautiful news that we have been given, that we know of, this beautiful news that we have been brought into. Don't shrink back. You have a confident God. You have confidence in a God who goes before you, who has set his king on his holy hill and cannot be removed. So maybe it's sitting down and reading through a book of the Gospels with your coworker who is skeptical. Not having all the answers. You don't need to have all the answers. Just read through the gospel with them. If I may recommend the gospel of Mark, it's a powerful gospel. Or sit down with, uh, with somebody that claims to be a Christian, but may not be a Christian. Sit down and read the book, the book called uh, Living the Christ-Centered Life. Brittany and I got to do that with many students in Dubai, and actually even before we got there, they were already reading this book with students. And many students actually came to faith just by reading this book, Living the Cross-Centered Life. Or invite non-Christians to your small group or to have cookout, uh, have to, to your time of you're having a cookout with other believers or into your home. And then lastly, I, I would encourage you guys to rest. Rest. Take rest. Rest in the faith in the eternal and have faith in the eternal sovereign reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he is an advocate. That he is a great high priest. And that he goes before you. And that you will see his inheritance come to completion, to fulfillment. Lastly, I'm going to take a moment here, um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to share a few updates and a few accounts of, of things that Brittany and I have got to experience and we got to hear about how the Lord was working in Dubai and even how he worked through us and, and our team and the church in Dubai. Going back to the story of these men that gathered together to pray um, and then the ones who went and started the student ministry in Dubai, these three men faithfully went to Dubai, came, became of a part of a local church that was already there in Dubai, and they faithfully served there in that church, but while faithfully starting seeking out students on these campuses in Dubai to share the gospel. Um, and through that, they helped bring in a healthy perspective of the, of the, of the, the Word of God, like Many, like uh, even like this church here, like Mount Vernon, like you guys, bringing a healthy centrality of the Word of God into the church, 
And through that, they saw the, ch- the church transform and be a sending hub of training up people from Africa, from India, from Europe, from all over the world. This one church now sending people out to go plant more healthy churches, not just in the Middle East, but in all parts of the world. And so we got to be a part of this, this work um, that has actually been these, these three men that um, started the student ministry. They've now passed it off to students who came to faith through the ministry. And through that, we got to be a part of not only, uh, so a second generation of believers in this ministry. And I just want to share, I want to share one account of um, a story of a, of a young girl who is from Bahrain. She's from Bahrain, and um, she's half Filipino, half, um, bar, uh, I can't, uh, I can't remember how you, Bahraini, thank you, Bahraini. She's half Filipino, half Bahraini, and so Bahrain is it's right on the, it's in the Arab Peninsula next to UAE and Saudi Arabia, and so um, her dad and her mom sent her to Dubai, UAE, because they specifically did not want her going to Australia or Canada to, and ha- the chance of her interacting with a Christian and the chance of her uh, meeting a Christian guy and marrying him. Well, lo and behold, she moves to Dubai to go to university, and she meets one of our friends on our team, Joanna, and Joanna befriends her at the university and shares the gospel with her and comes to church with her and meets other people in the church and families in the church. And these families were sharing the gospel with her, living life with her, just showing her what a Christian family is, is like. And through this, this time, um, Brittany, Brittany shortly after got connected with her and she started hanging out with Brittany and I coming into our home in Dubai and having meals with us and just having conversations. And during COVID, she ended up going back home to Bahrain to live with her family. Um, and we, we, were, we were praying for this time. The church was praying for this time as she was going back to Bahrain to live with her Muslim family. We thought this could, be, this could go either way. This could be a time of her being brought back into the Islamic faith um, by control of her family, or this could be a redemptive uh, story of Christ saving her. Well, during that time, Brittany got to actually disciple her very, very closely over Zoom, the amazing uh, realities of the internet. She got to a video call with her and talk with her privately throughout her time of being at home during COVID last year in 2020. And then she comes back, and I think it was right around October of last year, she came back to Dubai, moved back. And during that time, she had a verbal confession of faith and at a, became a member of our church and was baptized into our church there in Dubai. And she is now currently living with three Christian women, other single women in the church, um, and faithfully learning how to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Those little stories like that show us that God is advancing his kingdom. Christ will have his inheritance. 
or take it um, another guy from our friend Manuel, who is on our team, um, actually came, moved to Dubai to go to school from Brazil, what, thought he was a Christian um, when he was there at university in Dubai, and ended up coming to faith through the student movement, becoming a Christian. And now he's working um, and volunteering with the student movement, the student organization. And Manuel has uh, been reading a book with a local Emirati guy. And Emirati are, is, a, is a people group that makes up the people group in the UAE. Um, he, and they are like 0.01% Christian, or even if that. No, like no Christians. And he's sitting here reading a book called Delighting in the Trinity with him. And he's asking questions. And he's slowly, slowly sowing, sowing the seed of the gospel and helping this, this young Emirati walk through what it means to be a Christian. Or Brittany and I, a friend of ours, Ivan, Ivan Largo, Ivan is a Filipino young man who moved to Dubai like a lot of Filipinos to, to find work in Dubai. And he randomly one day showed up at church and was sitting behind me in, in church. And this was two months after we moved there. And I just recognized him as and being a new guy, and I just struck up a conversation with him, started talking invited him to dinner that night, and we were watching a movie that night with some friends, so I invited him to that movie, movie night. From that moment on, we, we both started talking and found out we both came from a Catholic background. He's Catholic, actually, still Catholic, and was exploring Christianity and what it really means to be a Christian. Um, two months later, in the process of that time, and just having conversations with him, talking about the gospel um, I never at once forced him to make a decision to be a Christian, but one, one night after church, we were given a ride home, as we did very often, we were given a ride home, and in the car, I just asked him, hey man, what'd you think of the sermon? And he shared about what he thought about the sermon, and then I asked him, well, where are you at with Jesus? Just that simple question, where are you at with Jesus? And in his honesty, he's like, man, uh, I, th I think I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a Christian. And he goes, I heard something in that sermon that Mark said that prompted me wanting to become a Christian. And so a few months later, he's also baptized and a part of a member of our church there in Dubai. And he is faithfully seeking to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was fascinating because even just through conversation with him and talking with him and discipling him closely last year, he lived with us for, during COVID because he was struggling with depression and uh, doubts of his faith. So we asked him to come move with, in with us and live in our one little bedroom apartment. He slept on the couch. Uh, but we had sweet times of reading the devotions together, uh, of talking about Jesus, reading a book together just showing him what a marriage looks like, a sinful, God-glorifying marriage, the, the, yeah, the, uh, the, the battle of that, of sin, and how to work, work through that in a marriage, um, but also spending wonderful times of prayer with him. We got to pray for his family, 
We got to pray for his coworkers who he was sharing the gospel with faithfully, who are from Muslim backgrounds. And then we got to pray constantly for him, for provision for him. Um, let me back up a little bit on his story. Ivan had a heart defect, born with a heart defect that he found out about. The doctor at the age of six uh, said that he had a few years to live. Well, now he's 24 years old. Um, pretty amazing what the Lord did. Uh, brought him to Dubai where he struggled with fear and anxiety of if he would ever live another day. And he says, I know this is why the Lord had kept me alive for a very moment like this so that I can know him. And through prayer and provision through that, he got to have a heart surgery that fixed his heart. And the very like, following month, guess what we did? We took him on a roller coaster ride. His, first, his very first roller coaster. He'd never ro- ridden a roller coaster in his life. So we took him on a roller coaster. And then we prayed, and we prayed specifically for, um, for him to find new work because he, like many people there in that area of the world, get exploited by, by the, um, the workforce there. They're not the wonderful laws that we have here that keep their, them safe from being exploited. But we got to pray for him to be out of that. And the Lord provided for a job that more than... Mo- provide a job that more than (laughs) multiplied his job two times the the salary that he was getting and provided benefits that he never had before. And then we prayed again because he had COVID and he was going to miss that interview. And the Lord, the next day, gets a call from this guy and the guy says, oh, we have to close the office today because everybody, there's, there's a case of COVID, so we can't do your interview in person. So we have to do it on Zoom. So he didn't miss his interview. Um, and then we prayed again. <laughs> and we kept praying and we kept praying. And we got to see the Lord do some major things in the lives of, of Ivan and many of those around him. And we are, we are expectant of the Lord to do more. We know that he will do more. He will save more. And so in confidence, Brittany and I knew when we moved back here from Dubai that that God would continue his work. He did not need us. But he is doing his work there, and he will continue to do it. So we ask that you guys would pray. Pray with us to advance his kingdom. To advance his kingdom there in Dubai, through the church, the local church, to the end, to the ends of the earth. So join me now in prayer. Father, Sovereign Lord, we come before you and we are, we are grateful that you have provided a way for us. You've provided a way for us to know you and you've provided a refuge for us through your son Jesus from the coming judgment, from the coming wrath against all those who rebel against you. Oh, thank you, Father, for changing our hearts. And we ask that you continue to change our hearts, Father, to be a people that are, that are growing and more and more in love with you and an understanding of your word and who you are. But also, Father, we pray for your church. 
your, your church that is being persecuted in Afghanistan right now, your church that is being persecuted in, in India right now, your church that is being persecuted in North Korea, your church that is being per- persecuted in, in China right now. Father, we pray that you would strengthen them and embolden them with the power of your Holy Spirit to have all joy and to keep their eyes on the great high priest who intercedes for them now. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen and build up your church in the Middle East, specifically Dubai, to build your kingdom and to glorify your name amongst the nations. We pray. Amen.